Welcome to Payne on Politics, a podcast where host Dr. Gregory Payne of Emerson College sits down with fellow experts to discuss the current state of politics, public opinion, and global affairs. In a world growing increasingly complex, communication and critical thinking is key. This only makes the Emerson motto, expression necessary to evolution, more true. Hello, I'm Gregory Payne, the Chair of Communication Studies, the first communication department in the United States, and also co-chair or co-director of the Emerson Blank Karina Global Center. I'm here today to talk to a father uh, who we have some things in common, and that is Ron Stokes. Uh, you, of course, have heard, and I think you might have listened to Trinity Stokes' uh, very provocative podcast on pain on politics. And when Ron and I were talking once during their visit, visit. Uh, Ron, first of all, welcome to Paint on Politics. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, when you and I were talking about Trinity, and then I think you mentioned something about Kent State, and all of a sudden you then mentioned Jackson State, and my eyes lit up because, of course, we know Kent State occurred on May 4th, which four students, nine were wounded, and then May 15th, you had Jackson State occur. And there, what what happened to Jackson State? So uh, really quick in a nutshell, thank you for having me on your podcast. My pleasure. And uh, yeah, in reference to Jackson State and uh, Kent State, um, something similar at the campus kind of took place. One evening, uh, we had students at Jackson State were protesting and they were protesting against the war. And at that particular time, they were talking there uh, about a draft that it would draft a lot of the young men to go into uh, to go and fight in that particular war, and quite naturally, not everybody agreed with the president at that time. Very and so, yes, yes. And so, um, President Nixon, we're talking about. Yes, absolutely, President Nick- Nixon. So I've I've heard. I wasn't there, but so I've heard. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was. I was worried about that draft. You know, the the number. Yeah, yeah. There, uh, that was real. That was real for them. And uh, what's so unique about the about what happened at Jackson State campus and even with Kent was that uh, the students that were protesting, they did the only thing that they knew how to, to, to do, and that was tell their story. And the only way that they could do that was through uh, a, a protest. They were out marching with signs. They were protesting against it. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram. So they couldn't make posts. They couldn't do any of that. And um, the only thing that they knew were to make signs and march. And that's what they did at both campuses. And at Jackson State's campus, uh, they did that one one night. And uh, with doing that, they had a they had military to come in and they wanted to stop the the mayor, governor, they wanted that to stop. They didn't want that particular protest to be happening and especially to be happening on that particular uh, campus. Because mind you, just to let you know where Jackson State sits, at that time, Jackson State, and it still does, it's, it's maybe less, it's a mile and a half, maybe two miles from downtown Jackson. And there ran uh, a major street that ran from downtown straight through the campus. And that street, 
you could just cruise that that street and individuals were there and they were protesting so anybody came down the street they could see and they could uh see the passion from the students but they didn't want that to be military came in and they just started to shoot they just randomly shot and they shot one of the dorms up and uh that particular dorm was a woman's dorm that they shot up and coincidentally a couple of the bullets hit two students well two individuals one student was uh, he was a student at Jackson State and the other individual that died that day he was an actual high school student and he was walking home from school and just so happened he was hit by one of the bullets as well and those two individuals um, you know their stories live on in the city of Jackson and everyone that comes to Jackson State they know the story of Gibbs and Green mm -hmm. and it's told over and over again because it stands uh, a testament of how important your voice is and when your voice is that you have to tell your story and when your voice is not heard then that can you know that that can lead to other things quite naturally but uh it's important to share your story and to share how you feel and that's what they were doing that night and it's sad that it ended so tragically yeah. Now that street is, it's called Lynch Street, right? In Correct. Jackson. Correct. So Lynch, Lynch Street, street. going by. And one thing that we discussed last night, and I've looked in documentaries and some of the study, because I've looked at Canton Jackson State, is the fact that sometimes, of course, there was a lot of racial division during that particular time. Sometimes you would have white motorists that would come down and say epithets to you know, the students. Jackson State's primarily a black institution, correct? Absolutely. So there was a historical kind of tension at that particular time. Yes. Just now, because of the times, yes. uh, you know, that was heavy racism in that time, too. So just because of the time, it was a lot of tension that took place as well. So you had that uh, that piece that was mixed into it as well. And, and the other piece is that after the shooting, uh, because it ran downtown and anybody could, you know, there was no block because you couldn't stop people from walking onto the campus or driving through the campus. They actually blocked that off in that area where, um, where they were shooting at and where the dorm was shot up. That was the first area that they blocked off. And so now you can't drive even to this day, you can't, directly drive down the middle of the campus it's now all, that entire street now is all blocked off and it's called the give you know it's we refer to it as the plaza yes. but that's where those two individuals you know were actually uh, shot and they shot in the dorms well you know after kent state you had uh, 200 over 200 campuses closed immediately uh, emerson was one of those that closed and i know there was some interest in terms of protesting not just vietnam but the the deaths at kent state one thing that we've talked about is the fact that when you look at what occurred at jackson that there's some interesting dynamics that uh, you shared with my class and that is before this happened that evening, uh, that there was something where you had uh, ambulances called uh, yes. to attend. Can you give the uh, yeah, listeners a, a little bit on that? That's a unique, that's a unique story because, uh, and this was a piece that I recently found, found out about that night. And that was <clears throat> before the military was, before they even set foot to the campus, 
they were all the ambulances in the city and surrounding cities were called to come to Jackson State because they were preparing for a bloodbath. And this was before the military even got there. And a lot of the uh, a lot of the students that were there at that particular time, they tell that story and they talk about the terror that they that they experienced that night. And you and you hear a lot of comments from uh, reported comments from a lot of the officials that were uh, involved in that night's uh, events. But one thing cannot be uh, overlooked, and that was that. If this was just a random and you were so scared, why before you even send your military, you call all the ambulance in? You were preparing for death. And now they said, well, you know, the military was called because the police police officers were being, you know, attacked. And there were tales that, uh, you know, some officers may have been seriously injured, but there wasn't. No uh, officers. There wasn't yeah, a lot of similarities with Kent. The other piece that I was going to ask that you shared with us is at Kent, of course, some of the law enforcement people said in the National Guard that there was a sniper that precipitated the fire. There was also supposedly a, quote, sniper at Jackson State, correct? Or at least that's what people were perpetuating. That's what some people reported that uh, that it was. I personally have not seen that particular uh, um that documented in reports, but I've heard some stories of that. You have a lot of different narratives that kind of float throughout the, uh, you know, around the city about that particular night. But one thing, a couple of narratives that are, that remain truthful. And that was that one, the only people that died that night were two black young men. That's one. Two was that they were protesting three, none of the uh, military individuals were were killed from that night or even injured that much yeah. right right Ab absolutely so those are those are pieces to that narrative that remain true and are actual and, and are factual um, and again Jackson State at that time it set in a residential area as well and I think that's a piece that that people uh, don't get and that's that you had communities on the north and the south uh, side of Jackson State. You had communities uh, that were flourishing. You had businesses that were around. So you had not only college students there, but you had families that had to run for shelter. You had kids that are playing in their yard and now they're running to uh, find safety and to find shelter because what you saw on TV you now are seeing it in your backyard. You now seeing it on the street that you play basketball in. You now seeing tanks. You now seeing armored vehicles and armored buses come for a protest. Because in that particular time, one of the things that was taught and, and, and was passed down because of the civil rights move, movement, one of the, and that was that it was, uh, numbers you know you you gather in numbers and you protest you get your voice heard and that nothing was really wrong with that but now you're now you're seeing something totally different because now by the military coming on now you're telling a young kid you be quiet or else we're going to come through you know we'll we'll shoot you you don't protest that's not what you're going to do so it's uh, a lot of pieces that uh, community-wise 
on the community level that uh, that were impacted as, as well that night? Well, I think what's interesting, and, and I bring the sniper at least the theory up because they said the same thing at Kent, even though there was never any uh, any validation of that. Uh, the person who potentially started that was a journalist who said that he thought he 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 thought he heard something mm. from one of the dormitories. But again, just at, just like Kent, if the, if the sniper is over in a dormitory area, why did the police officers fire into another area, not toward the quote-unquote sniper? Right. The reporter then later said that he thinks maybe he didn't really hear a sniper, but he heard the, the transistor or whatever type of tape recorder that it was maybe bumping something. So he's moved away from this. But I think the tragedy... Anytime you say there was a sniper, many people say, oh, that's the reason why it happened. And mm -hmm. you can sort of mitigate blame. So my question to you is how has Jackson, you know, 50 years, 53 years afterwards, how do you as a graduate of Jackson State, what is the message for Trinity and this generation in terms of what happened at Jackson State and Kent State? My message would be communication is key. The here again, you, you have students that were protesting because that was the only major avenue to communicate their feelings and their thoughts about what was taking place. Communication is key. You have to be able to effectively get your whatever it is that you're thinking or that you're feeling out and get it not just randomly out, but get it to the appropriate places. And I think uh, that there's a level of consideration that has to take place when you're on the administration side of things. And when you get these concerns and when you get information about there's an unrest on your campus or in your community, people aren't really agreeing with what it is that you're saying. You can't allow yourself to detach from uh, from the community that much to where their voice doesn't matters, uh, matter. Every voice matters. And I think in both of those situations, had there been a greater level of sensitivity or understanding that, that could have taken place, and uh, I, I don't think that either one of those events would have happened. Uh, sometimes when you don't understand a thing, you tend to fear it, regardless of what it is. If you don't understand how to swim or the importance of swimming, you tend to fear it if you don't know how to swim. So I think that, you know, um, sometimes you just need to listen. You need to listen to your student body. You need to listen to your students. You need to listen to the people that are in your, uh, you know, in your community or people that you govern over. Now, listening does not mean that you have to agree with them, but listening does until some level of compassion or understanding. So I would say to them, just understand, if you don't understand a certain uh, pocket of people or a certain culture, just have a, a understanding for them, listen to them, just have a level of empathy and sympathy that that could take place and it could just, you know, you, you, you can never know, you never know where that could lead either group. Well, yeah, I think one of the things you've just said, and that is they were protesting. Uh, protesting is as American as America itself. Because Absolutely. here we are at the Boston Common. Uh, we were able to have birth to a new nation because of protest. One thing I would also say, if you look at the President's Commission on Campus Unrest, which studied both Jackson and Kent, they found a leader 
they found a an absence of leadership at all levels of society and faulted President Nixon for what they said his divisive rhetoric was, which really mm. gave kind of a carte blanche to uh, whether it be the police in Jackson or the National Guard that the students were enemies. One thing that you have just said, Ron, that reflects what we are attempting to get with Emerson Dialogues, like what we had at the Watergate uh, with Bob Woodward, is the ability to respect both sides, to listen to both sides, and to find some type of common ground. I think in closing, the one person, the one leader who I think epitomized what you've just described, and unfortunately was not the case at Kent with President White, was President Peoples. Could you tell us a little bit about President Peoples' empathy at Jackson State? Absolutely. Dr. Peoples. Dr. Peoples, Dr. Peoples was, uh, and still, still is. is. Yeah, I was going to say, still living. <laughs> and still, he's, he's alive and kicking, but, uh, locally and, and probably more than likely globally, but Dr. Peoples is like our local Barack Obama. You know, everyone loves Dr. Peoples and they love him for a couple of reasons. One of the main reasons is that when that took place on our campus, uh, you know, he and his wife were able to open up their home and allow students to come in for shelter. Now, there's a huge house on our, on our college campus and it's considered the president's house and it always has been. And every president that we've have have lived in that house. Now they may change some of the, uh, interior or a little bit of the exterior grounds, what have you, but they all lived in that house for a period of time. But Dr. Peoples and his wife, they took in, you know, students that were running from, uh, running from the, the gunfire and allowed them to come into the house and stay and make calls to their family, which was just a compassionate, that was just a compassionate act because no cell phones. Then. Yeah, absolutely. You had no cell phones and no social media. So imagine, and, and at that time it was, that was collect calls. So if you, if anybody remembers collect calls, that's when you call and you, you have to accept the charges, yeah. you know, and they can get pretty pricey, but he allowed students to make those calls and, and he accepted calls from, uh, from parents checking on their kids. And so for the ones that were there, students were pleased, you know, and the parents were pleased, but can you imagine a parent communicating with a neighbor who may have a kid down there and the neighbor hasn't heard from their kid? And I said, well, have you talked to, uh, have you talked to my daughter? No, I haven't seen her. I don't know where she is. Can you imagine the, the panic of trying to locate your kid during such a time as that in the middle of the night? Cause this is, you know, you, you have the pitch of night. That's another element there too. So, uh, those actions that, that, uh, president peoples, um, did during those times are so commendable and still to this day he holds jackson state dear to his heart anytime that there is an event or anything with jackson state he is present and he's present with the same vigor that he had uh when he was actually serving as president so um we are very proud of dr peoples and the legacy that he continues to create not just for jsu but for the community at large because that community is still thriving that area is still just producing the best that the city and the state has to offer and so um 
everyone that comes through those doors, they know about Gibbs and Green and they know about Dr. Peoples and they know the, con uh, the contribution that he did for the institution. And after Dr. Peoples, we've had a lot of great, uh, a lot of great presidents after, uh, after him as well. But Dr. Peoples stands just premier above them all. Well, I would say a salute to Jackson State and a salute to uh, President Peoples because even though we didn't have a leader at the national level or governors or elected leaders, we had individuals like him, very Absolutely. empathic, who I think continues to show what leadership is all about. Ron, that, according to the President's Commission, was the most divided time in American history since the Civil War. I want to thank you for coming to the Kent State Jackson State class last night. The students really, welcome. really enjoyed your storytelling. And what I would say to you is we want you to come back to a special event in terms of a, I guess it's going to be the 53rd year retrospective of Kent State Jackson State. We'll have Mary Vecchio, John Philo, who of course took the picture at Kent State. We'd love to have you as a major storyteller. Absolutely. And you'll be in the, uh, you'll be in the sort of echoing Gene Young, <laughs> who is a favorite friend of mine who's no longer with us at Jackson, who came before. I think as we close, I know both of us would probably agree with the words of Santiana, and that is, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So let's remember Kent State and Jackson. Absolutely. Thank, thank you very so much, much for having on me. Politics. Thank you. Right now, we're going to be ending this one, a very special one, with a dear friend, Ron Stokes, Paint on Politics from Boston.